Hello and welcome to another episode of This is the Greatest Song I've Ever Heard in My Entire Life, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. I'm Scott Entrante and joining me as always, Catherine Moore. Catherine, how's it going? It's going good, Scott. How's it going with you? It's it's very good because in just a couple days, we have the 66th annual Grammy Awards. It's Grammy week. It's Grammy week. And our guest today on the podcast is nominated for a Grammy for Best Musical Theater Album uh, for producing the cast recording of Shucked. He's also a previous winner. He won for Beautiful, the Carol King musical cast yeah. recording as well. Billy J. Stein. He also... Does happen to be my boss, but um, <laughs> we'll talk about that more in a second. I first just want to hear your general thoughts about the Grammys, the nominees this year, what you're rooting for, yeah. all that fun stuff. I am like very pro SZA winning all of this. Like she deserves her mm. flowers for everything she's nominated for. I think my like most anticipated award which is so weird to say is producer of the year non-classical yeah and because i jack antonoff while he's nominated and is a good producer i really think daniel nigro needs to win producer of the year non-classical he was nominated yes some of olivia rodrigo stuff which he's her producer but also past guests Chapel right. Room because he produced her songs as well. Yes. And I just think he's such a cool producer and produces a lot of the sound that we like, we listen to. So that's a little weird to say, but I think that's my most like anticipated hopeful award. So yeah, what about you? What are you thinking? No, I think I think that's great because I don't get as into the Grammys as maybe you do. I and I think we <laughs> talked about this last year. It's just you know, there's so much music that comes out and it's like on the other side, I get really into all the Oscar stuff yeah. and we'll talk about that in a second yeah. as well, because I think it's a little bit more manageable. Obviously, there's still tons and tons of films that don't get into that race that should yeah. or could, but it's a little bit more manageable, whereas the Grammys, it's just kind of nuts how much music comes out. And so it feels like a little arbitrary, but that's why I think some of these smaller or not smaller producer of the year is a huge award, but some of them, the, a little bit more niche awards are kind of more interesting yeah. to follow just because it's, it's maybe a little bit easier to get a I handle I think on. the Grammys and the Oscars are similar though. Like in that there are just a few really big albums or records that get nominated and they're nominated over and over and over. The producers, the songwriters are all nominated and to me, it's like an yeah. easier accessibility thing with like listening to an album often takes less time than watching a movie. So I think That's we're on totally two sides true. of the same coin here. And I just like prefer the Grammys and you prefer the Oscars. So that's fair. And I, and I like watching it. Like I love watching all the performances yeah. and there's always something weird that happens. Yeah. <laughs> and and obviously, you know, we'll talk to Billy Stein in a, in a little bit, who's one for one of these smaller categories yeah. where it really is a big deal and really changes your whole career. Yeah, it's a crazy cool thing. You know, Olivia Rodrigo winning or, or not winning is like, it's cool, but it doesn't, it's not really going to affect her career that much, right. you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't have a strong rooting interest in, in a lot of them. I like, I love the Boy Genius yeah. album and I love the Janelle Monet album. I would be happy with either of those. I mean, I really like, SOS as well yeah. from SZA. So, yeah. you know. I'm hoping for some upsets here. My main 
hope beyond hope of an upset would be for Best New Artist to go to the Warren Treaty, even though like folks like Noah Kahn and Gracie Abrams are nominated for that. Uh, and Ice Spice, too. Like, I feel like it's probably going to go to Noah or Ice Spice, maybe Gracie, but yeah. the Warren Treaty is just Jelly such Roll. a cool... Yeah, Jelly Roll. Warren Treaty is such a cool duo, and that would be, like, such a boon for their career, so... I'm really glad you shouted out the Warren Treaty, because I was looking at that list, and that's the only one I truly have never heard of in at all they have a you might have actually heard of them or heard them because they have a feature on zach bryan's record that was self-titled that came out um and it's called hey driver it's such a fun song they've done a couple other performances i've seen too and i just love their they're kind of country but more like folk duo and just i love their presence stage presence and the music that i've heard of from them so yeah, that would be a really fun cool. upset if that happened. We'll see. Yeah, the other thing I want to shout out is in the songwriter of the year, which is still a very new category. Yeah. Um, Shane McAnally is nominated, and he, of course, like is a, a huge country songwriter, country pop songwriter mm-hmm. who writes for Old Dominion and Casey Musgraves and Sam Hunt and all those sorts of people. Yeah. He, along with Brandy Clark, are the songwriters for the musical Shucked on cool. Broadway that the cast album is is nominated, and that's what Billy is nominated for producing. So it's kind of cool that he's in there also as Songwriter of the Year, and um, hopefully that bodes well for them winning the musical theater album. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what, if anything, Taylor wins? Because I feel like Midnight's and even Anti-Hero weren't, like, the things that the critics really, like, latched onto with her, so... Yeah, and then I guess as our bridge to talk about the Oscars... Billie Eilish. um, Billie Eilish's (laughs) uh, What Was I Made For is actually... I mean, it's nominated for Song and Record of the Year, despite being for a movie... Which is really huge. It's also nominated, I think, for uh, Best Pop Solo Performance and, you know, a bunch of other, whatever, like Song for Movie or whatever that category is. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. I think, honestly, it's an incredible song and I think it maybe deserves to win Song of the Year. Probably not Record of the Year, but Song of the Year, maybe. And, um, you know, the Grammys really like her, so I can see it happening. I think that'd be so cool. I'm really pushing for her to win an Oscar for that song. I think that would be really cool. So we, okay, so we should talk about the Oscars a little bit. So like you said, your choice award show is the Oscars. You watch a lot of movies. How many movies did you watch last year? What was your number? Oh, I mean, of... 2023 releases was probably 130 130 or something like that crazy number so this is this is your night this is your this is scott's biggest night not only not only movie's biggest night so (laughs) there were a couple of quote-unquote like snubs that whatever are actually snubs i don't know but what was your kind of biggest surprise that you had in mind you predicted some of these like really interesting choices that the nominations made so like what was your Biggest surprise of the Oscar noms. Yeah, I I did predict um, Greta and Margot missing those two categories, Mm -hmm. which, you know, we don't have to get into. Like, there's been so much discourse. I would just say that, like, 
I think whether you think they should have gotten in or not, I don't necessarily think they're snubs because they were clearly thought about, you know, and considered. Like, I'm sure they were both like sixth place or seventh place in those votings, you know? it's So it's not like they were snubbed in a sense. There was no one to take away from those. Yeah. Like, who would you take this away from? And the answer is like somebody who probably really deserves it too so yeah i mean that's always the case it's it's tough you know but that's what makes it fun but you know overall i thought this was like a really good batch of nominees like compared to some other years mm-hmm. where certain things get into best picture like you know a green book which not only got nominated but won yeah. you know there's like right. you know there's <laughs> nothing in here really that is like oh geez how did that get in there you know, it's like it was a really strong year and strong nominees. So I think that it's interesting that like American fiction, that seemed like a little bit of a something that just slid in under the radar a little bit for me. Yeah. In terms of like hearing about that movie. And so here, like the supporting actor now yeah. going to Sterling K. Brown. Obviously, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure that he deserves it. I really like him as an actor. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, to sort of circle back to our main focus, which is the music, uh, <laughs> American Fiction also got nominated for Best Score, which I really, yeah. you know, that. I hadn't seen being talked about. Like, you know, the screenplay mm. and Jeffrey Wright and Sir Game Brown, you know, they were getting a lot of buzz. But the score, I yeah. think, is really interesting because it shows that people really do just love that movie and, and included it. Laura Cartman, yeah. who is a relatively new composer for film. Like, she's done some things. She, she just has started doing some Marvel stuff, including the Marvels and the Miss Marvel TV show. Mm-hmm. It honestly wasn't something that jumped out at me when I watched that film, but I think it's cool that she's in there, you know, compared to like the John Williams for the Indiana Jones fifth movie in that series like i don't know that that needs to be there right the other nominees are robbie robertson for killers of the flower moon a posthumous nomination and Mm -hmm. that's you know that's cool i think that score is is good but maybe not what i would pick and then the other two are uh jerskin fendrix for Mm -hmm. poor things which is really fun and wacky and weird to go along with that wacky and weird movie and then Ludwig yeah. Gorenson for Oppenheimer which honestly I think is incredible like I I don't know have you seen Oppenheimer yet or no I haven't but the clips I've seen the parts I've seen it'd be like I feel like it'd be his yeah, almost yeah. from like how much buzz it's getting too yeah absolutely and it's something where like I think the score does a lot of heavy lifting for this movie because you know it's it's a very big movie and a long movie and there are these very long sequences that are yeah. you know shifting between different locations and characters and dialogue and his score does a yeah. really good job of connecting all of these things and like keeping and building momentum throughout them or distinguishing them to really help you follow the plot mm-hmm. so I think the music is good and it also functions really well and so that's you know i think he will win but yeah i'm looking at the original song nominees yes. as well the fire inside from flame and hot i did have to google that i'm like i've never heard of this movie before yes. flame and hot did you see it i did not see it but it is one that i have heard of and and that's not always the case with the Diane Warren nominations in the yeah, past couple of years. Right, yeah. So. And somebody on Twitter said she should get it and it should be For Say Don't Go, which she co-wrote with Taylor <laughs> Swift, which that would be my preference. But my personal opinion, and maybe yours too, is like, what was I made for yeah. should win that award. Yeah. That's my opinion. And I think what would actually upset me is not even if the Flamin' Hot 
song one, but if I'm just Ken one over what was I made for, like any other song, I'm like, okay, fine. But if I'm just Ken wins, like it's just, (laughs) it's like a shot to the heart. And he won, they won the, um, was was it the critics choice? Yes. Critics choice. Yes. Yeah. Critics choice. So I don't know, like maybe it'll win, but I feel like it's, it's Billy's to lose and I really want her to win it. So we'll yeah, see. it's, I mean, I think it's a fun song. I like it, but I do think the Billy song is kind of transcendent. And then, you know, also just to shout out a song for my people. And I, I, I don't want to mispronounce the Osage title of it was yeah. I, I think it, is but I'm sure I could say that better. But um, from Killers of the Flower Moon, composed mm-hmm. by a Osage composer, Scott George. That's really cool. Obviously, just yeah. like being something that doesn't normally get um, recognition in a body like this. So yeah, and I, you know that film is yep. great, and I think uh, that's just cool that it's in there. And then the other one is It Never Went Away, yeah. which is from a documentary American Symphony about John Batiste and his wife. Um, and mm-hmm. it's written by John Batiste and Dan Wilson of, uh, you know, Semisonic, Closing Time guy. Of course, I mean, he's <laughs> written so many other things, including uh, Someone Like You with Adele, but, <laughs> but, but also, also Closing Time. Um, but I'm glad he's uh, nominated for an Oscar. Last question I'll ask for the Oscars. If you had to make a prediction for Best Picture, who you got? Yeah, I think it's hard to, like, if I really put money on it, I think it's hard to not vote for Oppenheimer because it just seems to have all the momentum. Mm. But that doesn't always bode well. You know, you get a month away and you have all the momentum now. And also because of the way they do, like it's kind of a ranked choice voting thing. So I can really see something that gets a lot of second place votes can end up winning. And But like, who do you want to win? Like, what do you, who are you voting for? Who are you rooting for? I mean... I would probably root for Anatomy of a Fall, even though I really actually kind of like Maestro better, but that's a minority opinion. Mm. But I think Anatomy of a Fall, it is a hot take, I know, (laughs) but I think Anatomy of a Fall would be a really, really cool win. It's a great film. But I think in terms of those like Mm -hmm. crowd pleasing number, like getting a lot of second place votes, I think the holdovers has a really good chance of being like the upset win. Mm. And it's not an upset. It's a great film. It's lovely. Yeah. I would like Killers of the Flower Moon to win. I was between that and the holdovers in terms of who I'm rooting for. But I just think it would be such a cool win. Yeah. And I know Martin Scorsese has won a lot of Oscars before, but that would be my, like, who I'm rooting for. So we'll see. Yeah. And Lily Gladstone, definitely I rooting think, for her. Yeah, for, absolutely rooting um, for her. Actress, so. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, this is yeah. too much movie so. talk on our music podcast. So... <laughs> So, you know, if you're out there and you can blame me, I had to, I had to know (laughs) if you're out there and you have thoughts on the Grammys or the Oscars, you know, let us know, get in touch with us on social media at great song pod, GR number eight song pod, or at great song pod, GR number eight song pod at gmail.com and let us know who you're rooting for. And uh, without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Billy J Stein. He is a producer. He's also my boss. We have a company called strike audio that makes music mostly for tv shows uh and he mentions that briefly but mostly we talk about uh the grammys his previous win his current nomination and obviously the song that makes him scream this is the greatest song i've ever heard in my entire life
right. Well, Billy, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm on a, on a real New York moment. I'm walking the dog. I think you might hear a little bit of some sirens, some gunshots, something. <laughs> uh, you know, just some typical New York vibe going on. Yeah. We'll hear somebody being like, hey, I'm walking here. (laughs) (laughs) Watch out. Sorry. That was a bad joke. So obviously we (laughs) want to talk to you about a lot of things about your interest in music and your music career. But uh, we're sort of doing this the week before you go out to L.A. to go to the Grammys because you were nominated as a producer of Shucked for uh, Best Musical Theater Album. Yes. And of course, you won a couple years ago producing the Carol King Beautiful uh, album. So what what is that like when you wake up and you see that, you know, you're nominated for a Grammy? Well, I've you know, it's uh, being a kid, I've always dreamed about, you know, being in the music business. My first dream was actually when I was um, delivering newspapers at age 11, in the freezing cold from uh, Wallbaums in a shopping cart with my mom, I dreamed about like being a keyboard player for Billy Joel. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to have the accolades of, of our uh, esteemed musical colleagues saying that I did a good job. And in this case, it's um, more producing and mixing, not playing, but it still is really, you know, it feels really good. As yeah. any musician will tell you, it's, uh, it's not an easy road, you know. I originally was going to be a doctor, and then, much to my parents' chagrin, I uh, became a musician. <laughs> and I really didn't make a living till about age 32, you know? Yeah. So, a couple of years of sleeping on couches and things like that. <laughs> but anyway, no, getting a Grammy was awesome. And then being nominated again is really cool, too. Yeah, so obviously, you know, we have no experience other than watching on TV. What is it like being in the room, being out in L.A., you know, going to the parties, meeting the people? Is it a kind of a crazy whirlwind, I imagine? It is. I, I think I had like a super lucky, magical first experience. Since I'm in the uh, the daytime ceremony, because they're like 85 categories and they only film like mm-hmm. six or seven. <laughs> right. And uh, that daytime category ends around 3, 3, 3.30. And then you have to start the red carpet for the nighttime one, which is like the big party. And last time, my cousin was nominated, my cousin Jacob. And... Uh, we like did some shots at four o'clock, <laughs> and then we went. We went and saw the show, and ACDC was oh, yeah. was playing. And that's funny because that was gonna that was gonna be my original greatest song I've ever heard in my life was the ACDC's "Back in Black." Yeah, so that was amazing to watch them, and then it's really fun. And then you see the show, and that show was like uh, Rihanna and Paul McCartney had that oh, weird song, yeah. Yeah. and then mm-hmm. there was like Sia Chandelier, Kristen Kristen Wiig was dancing. It was a weird show. But anyway, uh, <laughs> after the show, my cousin Jacob at the time was dating a girl who was best friends with the sister of Lindsay Lohan. Okay. And so they got me into the greatest party in L.A., Sam Smith's <laughs> wow. party. Wow. And we were in this little room with Taylor Swift, Naheim, Ed Sheeran, and we're like dancing, me and my wife, and are like way older than everyone else. That's incredible. We're like jamming and and it was really fun. And then Justin Bieber came in and we were like, we got to (laughs) go. So I was like four four or five in the morning. That was kind of a magical, like totally L.A. crazy scene. Yeah. Well, this year, obviously, the cast recording you worked on is uh, with songs by Shane McAnally and Brandy Clark. So you will also have some good 
good connected people to be hanging around with. <laughs> yes, that we've already asked them, please, can you just like tag along? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Brandy Clark, I think her manager's throwing a party. And uh, I'm going with, with my buddy Jason Howland, who co-produced everything with me. Yeah. Um, that should be a lot of fun. You know, 10 years later. Yeah. I've matured a bit, so I'm not sure how crazy we'll go. <laughs> nice. Well, obviously, good luck with all that, and we will, you know, provide an update if and when you win that second Grammy. Um, but to go back, you know, you were talking about being a young kid, thinking about becoming a professional musician. What was the first thing that really drew you to want to, you know, learn music and pursue a career? In oh, it? wow. Well, that's that's a good question. You know, I have a very musical family. Like I mentioned earlier, my uncle was always involved in music. He was in the original cast of Jesus Christ Superstar oh. in 1969. Right. Um, and of course, my going back one generation, my Grandpa Leo, his cousin was right. Julie Stein, who was the uh, world famous songwriter of like uh, Gypsy, Funny yeah. Girl, Let It Snow, the song. You know, he's a classic American songbook writer. And I was um, always playing piano. My dad was a piano player. He actually uh, wooed my mom by playing Chopin, <laughs> uh, Polonaise, and A. Well, of course. So I took piano lessons, uh, but I always thought it would just be a hobby because I did work in a wedding band in high school. I Realized how tough it was. We used to drop off, you know, guys who were in the band with long ponytails and living in their mom's garage. And I was mm -hmm. like, I don't want to, don't want to be in a wedding band. And I, I really thought that's what, because you know, my uncle Michael, the one who was a Jesus mm -hmm. Christ superstar, he ultimately joined the Navy and became the leader of the country band. And he was always on the road. It was tough, yeah. tough life. But long story short, I guess I didn't want to be a musician because I was right. working as a musician. I tried hard to not go into it like my family. But then in college, while I was pre-med, we, we got a record deal on Atlantic. And that was the band The Hatters. Mm. And I was like, hmm, I should probably try yeah. this. So I deferred med school. Yeah. And uh, Well, then you fell into doing the theater stuff on the Broadway stuff, right, with Jekyll and Hyde. I did. After six years on the road, I was broke, living on my cousin's couch in New York. It was a salmon couch. <laughs> <laughs> just like an orangey color. So I started scoring soft porn films. Yeah. And I met one of the composers who worked on Broadway. And he's like, hey, you want to come sub for me? And this was 97, 1997. And the conductor of the show is Jason Howell, right. the guy I mentioned earlier. He was conducting Jekyll and Hyde at the time. He hired me full time. And for four years, I played in the pit of Broadway, Jekyll and Hyde. And um, I made enough money to buy an apartment and start this little studio thing. At the same time, I was always into rock and roll and i have really long hair and all that stuff so i was always into like gear and keyboards and so i was keeping the studio thing going at the same time i'm probably talking too much Sorry. no this is good this is all interesting stuff is like as the pathway to where you are now it's like a lot of different testing things out and trying things and either deciding they're not for you or just moving on and even though you deferred the pre-med and like decided not to do that because of the record deal, music just kept kind of bringing you in. And that was that it just like almost showed you that that was where your path was going to be instead of the other way around. <laughs> well, that's, that's right. It's true. I mean, yeah, I mean, I do love music. Don't get me wrong. And in <laughs> fact, I thought doing music not as a hobby, you know, would kind of burn me out or not be happy with it. But I seem to be finding projects and 
things that I love, you know, mm-hmm. I'm really lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I wanted to talk to you more about is like more specifics about your taste when you were getting into music, when you were playing in bands in college, like what kind of things made you really excited uh, musically? Well, believe it or not, my favorite thing in the world was classical. Hey. And what, what, what I was going to choose... Now, this has been a very difficult assignment, <laughs> Scotty, when you told me about it. Because I've been Everyone debating what it, was yeah, my favorite song, you know? Yeah, you're not the only one that says that. <laughs> For me, it's Liszt's uh, concerto in E-flat major, concerto number one. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. I used to listen to that on a thing called a Walkman, the tape, <laughs> over and over years so i loved classical my dad used to take me to see classical concerts but i also liked broadway stuff because of my we call him uncle julie but yeah. he's really my cousin and then um my mom was always in community theater and i loved rock and roll and like pink floyd and zeppelin and my uncle michael was in the who's tommy right. on broadway it was awesome mm. the tour of it and so we used to play pinball wizard and like 1977 with the jukebox i was a long island kid in the 80s so we were really into like, you know, ACDC and Judas Priest, Fabian Silly stuff. Yeah. yeah. How did you balance the like classical and the rock? Was it just like you were listening to a little bit of everything? Everything. Or... And that's sort yeah. of what I think I'm like a jack of all trades, master of none of music because I really like everything. <laughs> yeah. And that's why the Strike Audio Music Library is so cool. We have so many different genres. Uh-huh. I really like put on weird things all the time. Oh, I like jazz because that was also my, I studied jazz before classical. Initially it was I had a teacher named Mr. Stein. So he taught me how to sight read and improvise. Okay. He's the one that said it, I think around 11 or 12, he said, you know, Billy, you should probably learn mm-hmm. classical because it would help you. Get that you know? good foundation in there with it. Yeah, but it was really good to learn that first because it got me through a couple of lean times. I could sight read and transpose yeah. on sight kind of thing. So I was doing rehearsal mm-hmm. pianist stuff. Right after the band broke up. People may or may not know this about you, but you have uh, quite a, a collection of vintage synthesizers. Uh, and I always like think that's your main thing. What What is that? Why did you get into collecting so many of these synthesizers? We'll post a picture on, on our Instagram of like your studio filled with, you know, 100 different vintage synths. Yeah, well, I started right about that same time that I was doing the paper route where I was dreaming of being Billy Joel's keyboard player. Uh, I saved up the money and my parents helped me a little bit, but I got a Moog source. It was a mono synth from 1981. Sort of set up a little studio in my bedroom. So I got a Poly 61, a Cork Poly 61, and then I got two Sanyo tape decks. And I was getting into like engineering Mm because I have a mass brain too. You know, that's the science part Mm -hmm. of me. That's the pre-med part. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So I was really getting into that stuff. And then in high school, uh, we had a band called the River Bottom Nightmare Band, which is named after Eminata's Jug Band Christmas. Oh, yeah. Is it? I don't know. You guys got to see that. Yeah. Song. Anyway, um, and I have, I guess I have a little bit of a hoarding problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I sort of never sold anything. So then I had a DX7, and then I had a Korg SG1, then I got a Rhodes and a Clab, and then a B3, and I just never sold right. anything. And then I guess because I've been doing it for such a long time, I started to realize, wow. I have a lot of keyboards, you know? Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I got my own studio space in Flatiron, I just decided, well, I have such great basis of keyboards. Let me just find one from each era, you know, like mm. 90s, right. 80s, 70s, 60s. And then someone found me, this guy, Errol Mars, and he said, man, I have this collection from this guy who passed away, and he was the uh, editor of Mix Magazine. His name was Stephen St. Croix. 
and he built this thing called the Marshall Time Modulator. It's Stevie Wonder used on Songs of the Key Life. And anyway, he had all this synths. Do you want them? Because I know you'd use them. Like, I don't want to sell them to a collector, mm -hmm. you know. I said, yeah, I promise I'll use them. So I kind of scrapped up some cash and got these amazing synths, like this Oberheim 8 voice, which is really rare. I have Stevie Wonder's ARP 2600 used on that session, the song I wow. wish. Over the years, people kind of called me. So I sort of grew, mm -hmm. you know, and now all of a sudden I have, you know, Keyboard Magazine did an interview and they said, you know, you have one of the biggest collections in the world. Man. Yeah. So, you know, I, I maintain them. I have someone on, on a retainer who just takes care of them. It's become more of, more of a real fun hobby. And I wish I had yeah. more time to play around with them. But I've been using them a lot. I try to use them on yeah. projects. You know, mm -hmm. writing for Strike or using them on, you know, cast recordings and things like yeah. that. That's really cool. Well, I think that is the time for us to move over into the, the big topic here. So, Billy, what is the song that makes you scream? This is the greatest song I've ever heard in my entire life. I know it's a little bit corny and geeky, but it's Rush's Tom Sawyer. Today's Tom Sawyer, he gets high on you. Yeah, I don't think this is. I mean, it's a little geeky, but it's a. It's this is cool. I oh, I don't think it's yeah. that corny. I think I don't think we've actually talked about Rush no. yet, have we? Yeah. Scott? So that's a, this is a milestone. <laughs> Good. Yeah, that's what I was talking to Scotty, and and I said really ACDC should have been the one, or even Led Zeppelin's No Quarter, yeah. but Rush was really cool because you know at the time i was into more rock and roll heavy guitar stuff 1981 you know i had a ping pong tournament in my basement and we had a record player at the time mm -hmm. and i got a couple of records i remember putting that one on i think it was 82 and even though it came out in 81 i was 12 but i just remember putting on the and hearing that synth with the rock and roll and mm -hmm. i was also at the time i mean this is more of a nostalgic pick yeah. you know um at the time i was really into like trying to figure out time signatures right and i was getting more into that progressive rock stuff right so that blew me away when you put i'm just thinking about the first experience hearing that on the record and then you know yyz is another song where you just kind of just counting it in my head as a kid right yeah and, you know the, the virtuosity and um getty lee still had that screaming high voice kind of rock and roll thing like Zeppelin, I know that he emulated some of those higher singer voices. So it didn't bother me. Like some people like a screaming banshee yeah. vibe. But I was just thinking nostalgically what really made me crazy. That was great. That song. But yeah, it's cool because, you know, in that era, the 70s and early 80s, there were a lot of these prog bands that would have, you know, decent crossover radio hits, but they would be the kind of more poppy songs from them. And this is kind of poppy, mm -hmm. but like you said, you know, this is mostly in 7-8. Right. And for it to be... You know, pretty pretty popular on the radio. I'm I'm looking here. It was number eight on the mainstream rock Billboard charts and number 44 on the Hot 100, which isn't like it wasn't number one, but it's you know it's a pretty big crossover hit. And uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty they, cool. they definitely. After I chose the song, I decided to read his biography, Getty Lee's autobiography. And they really stuck to their guns and they really tried to do something different. You know, they had a hit a hit song with Spirit of the Radio, which they hated. What he learned to like later on. But most things have really tried to stay true to their kind of freaky, not commercial vibe. And uh, yeah. I remember the ACDC song, 
was another choice because I saw them live when I was 15 with my friend Matt Gill. And his dad worked for Atlantic and he got a second row seats. Mm. And then there's a song for those about to rock. They blow these cannons. Yeah. And actually, yeah. it blew my eardrum out on my left side. I still have no. hearing loss. No from way. The... <gasps> yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I used to go see concerts in New York. My friend Mike and I went in by train to the city and scalped tickets to see Rush. And that was uh, Power Windows, I think, in 85. Mm-hmm. And just loved seeing Getty Lee play keyboards and bass and sing. Yeah. He had the craziest rig, you know, MIDI rig with keyboards all hooked up. And just amazing to watch three guys yeah. make that kind of noise. Incredible. They're really interesting. I know that they're not very soulful, people say, and they're not like, I know the choice was Stevie Wonder, but right. they have a true rock and roll spirit, you know? Yeah. They're very polished, but they're very rehearsed, you know? Which is, Different than my band and, and my rock and roll band, we were kind of like, you know, jam bandy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're kind of the opposite end of that. Right. What's kind of cool is that they are very tasty with the synth in that, in that era. Mm-hmm. I mean, later on in the 80s, they went, being a progressive band, they, they embraced a lot of the synths. It's a little cheesy sounding now, you know. But, uh, no, embrace it. Cheese, cheesy is cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, yeah, Rush to me, it reminds me of eighth grade, you know, it's like tough. Yeah. Earth, Wind, and Fire, Let's Groove Tonight was big, 83. I had a little mm-hmm. 45 of that. So I guess I'm dating myself. But <laughs> Yeah. You know, it was bar That's mitzvah cool. time, too. It was like right. you go to these bar mitzvahs, and uh, it was always kind of, you know, a little like, uh, for me, a little awkward. Yeah. But we used to get into trouble, you know. Yeah. But I don't want to say too much because I have kids. <laughs> I think a lot of people now of our generation or younger, there's a, you know a kind of rush resurgence because of the movie I Love You, Man. Did you ever see that with Paul Rudd and Jason Segel? Oh, it's a great did. movie. But they bond over both loving Rush and they have like a little fake Rush cover band in their garage and stuff and go to a Rush concert in that movie. And it's like, again, like you I were saying, that, that was okay. such a big part of that. <laughs> I haven't seen that in years. You, you said it's a little nerdy, it's a little geeky, and I think they're kind of playing into that in the movie too. It's like, maybe not the coolest band to be into, but you can kind of let yourself go and embrace like, you know what? No, this is cool. I'm going to jam out to these odd time signatures and these wacky Canadians and right. just embrace it. You know? I have a, I have a chain with all my high school buddies. I asked them, what would you choose? And they all <laughs> said like Zeppelin, Forte said Zeppelin, Mikas said, you know, Floyd or whatever. But I stuck with my gun to saying rush. And I know I'm going to get a, a lot of shit for it. <laughs> but my friend Mike and I loved it. No, you know, yeah, we still quote cool. quote some of the lyrics. Yeah. They're weird lyrics, you know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not, not really, like that. Really yeah, I, didn't, I never was. To be honest, yeah. I never was a lyric guy. You know? Yeah. Same. I can't. I don't even. Yeah, I'm kind of listening to the music. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well. Well, Billy. Uh, you know, thank you so much for coming and talking to us about this, and obviously, great luck in the Grammys, and. Uh, We'll talk more soon. Yes, thanks for uh, dealing with the dog situation. I have to go find him. <laughs> but uh, no, he's fine. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. All right, so Catherine, there you go. What do you think of uh, Tom Sawyer? And uh, Billy walking around with his dog. (laughs) Yeah, that was such a fun episode. I just love the BTS like stuff of the, 
hearing about the Grammys and what it's like. And I um, am not the world's biggest Rush fan, but I do have fond memories of that song. My brother liked Rush when he was growing up and was just kind of into some of that classic rock. So I do associate it with that with him, which is a positive thing. So what about yeah, you? Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I, I like a lot of the progressive rock stuff, but I never particularly got into Rush. I don't dislike them in any way. It's just like compared to, you know, Yes or Genesis or whatever. I was just more into that stuff. But I think it's cool and I think it's a cool pick. And like I said, it really makes me just want to go back and watch I Love You, Man, um, which I yeah. haven't done in a couple <laughs> of years. So maybe I'll go do that. But yeah, I, you know, if you are out there and you have strong feelings, positive or negative, about Rush, uh, let us know. Find us on social media media at yeah. great song pod gr number eight song pod or gr number eight song pod at gmail.com and let us know what you're thinking hit us up feel free to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts apple Podcasts, spotify and we also just started our youtube channel so we'll have audio from our previous episodes and eventually all of our episodes up on our youtube channel so check us out at youtube.com slash Great song pod, GR number eight song pod. Yeah, very exciting. All right, thank you so much, Catherine, for helping me co-produce the show. Thanks to Izzy for help with mixing, to Roger for the podcast art, to Skylar Spence, whose song Kratos and Love is our theme music, and to you, the listener, for listening. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. But the thing is, I just kind of lost my dog. Hold on. Fazzy!